Hello everyone, thank you for tuning in today's P3 podcast. My name is Sofian Sheikh, P3's Digital Marketing Manager, and I'm joined by... Joseph Ricciuti. And... Sanjeda Ahmed. Uh, would you guys like to uh, introduce your titles as well? Sure. Um, I'm uh, an employee benefits and HR consultant. Mm-hmm. I've been in the business for 35 years as a senior executive uh, uh, for group distribution, marketing, and healthcare research at Canada Life. And my uh, latest... Uh, 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 venture was uh, the national practice leader for Watson Wyatt Worldwide, heading up the uh, group in healthcare practice. Well, I'm Sanjeev Ahmed. I'm a geneticist working for personalized prescribing, and I have uh, almost like uh, 15 years of experience in healthcare industry. So we definitely have some experience in this three-way conversation today. Sure. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about mental health and why is it so important for individuals to focus on mental health, especially you take it seriously. What we want to talk about today is about uh, the mental health conditions in the workplace, how the mental health is currently affecting the workplace. I would ask uh, uh, Joe Ricciuti to uh, put some insight on this. Sure. Well, uh, in in my introduction, I apologize too, because part of my uh, background uh, when I was at Canada Life and leading the group and healthcare practice for Watson Wyatt, a research company that uh, does its research and consults on, on the topic, was in the area of mental health. And we helped uh, uh, put together the business case for mental health. Um, I was a member of the Global and Economic Roundtable on Addiction and Mental Health that uh, made it a business case and put it on a boardroom agenda. So I think the topic of mental health is, um, is well positioned to the topic of what is keeping employers and HR managers up at night and that is workforce productivity and the impact that mental health has on performance and absences in the workplace. So this is a very relevant topic and I'm uh, glad to be here to share my expertise in this uh, this field. So Joe, let's get right into it. So what are employers doing to mitigate mental health at workplaces? Well, actually a lot. Uh, We've come a long way uh, in the awareness Uh, field of what mental illness is and is not and employers have come a long way thanks in large part to organizations like uh, Canada Post that uh, had an initiative cause of choice and of course we all know about Bell Canada's Let's Talk so a lot on the wellness uh, awareness side um, the question then becomes so what are you going to do about it so what are employers doing about it and and the best way I can describe it is uh, into three boxes there's a prevention side, how do we prevent and mitigate mental health, health issues as they may arise in the workplace or um, that may be affecting the workplace because they've been uh, imported in. Uh, the second bucket is um, what do we do for support programs? And then the third bucket is what do we do when actually someone happens to, to pass through all three of those gates and, and are on disability? So let me just talk with the first one. What are they doing in terms of prevention? Uh, clearly, uh, healthy workplace initiatives, wellness programs, implementing um, uh, awareness campaigns and training around mental health has um, is, is been um, big initiatives. Um, the other part that they're looking at in terms of prevention um, is uh, implementing programs like pharmacogenomics and, and how it uh, could assist in terms of preventing and mitigating uh, those folks who may uh, be predisposed or not be aware that they have a mental illness but are struggling. 
and w using the medication. So pharmacogenetics plays a, plays a big role there. As it relates to support, the support that's uh, provided to employees, if they are in distress or in need of help, we see programs like EAP, we see the uh, training programs like the um, uh, National Standard for Psychological uh, Health and Safety in the Workplace. We see other forms of training, mental health first aid. But more importantly, in terms of programs, EAP seems to be <clears throat> the big hub where folks could go, both uh, employer, employees can go or their dependents can go for help and assistance. We also see, again, this topic of pharmacogenomics playing a role as a support. I, where do I go for the test? Should I have a test <clears throat> if um, a clinical um, treatment plan is a pharmacological plan? So, and the, and the third bucket is um, disability management side. So often when uh, an employee goes through those gates and um, falls prey to uh, a more serious um, uh, state uh, as it relates to a, a mental illness and they are now disabled, um, there are best practices around return to work. Uh, certainly early intervention and access to care play a big role. Access to care is a big problem when you're dealing with uh, trying to get to a psychiatrist who can <clears throat> certainly prescribe the medication. But so you're starting to see as, um, as a tool uh, for that, a virtual clinics that could shorten that. Once it gets to the psychiatrist, there's two options that that psychiatrist makes. They have to make the diagnosis, and once they do the diagnosis, they have to make a treatment plan, a clinical treatment plan. If it's severe mental illness, and it could be one of two things or a combination of both. It could be a pharmacological uh, treatment, it could be a cognitive behavioral therapy treatment or something similar, or a combination of both. And having a tool that would be more precise on the pharmacological side, or having a tool that can understand when and where uh, the uh, pharmacological treatment interacts or is needed with uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is an important aspect of it. So once again, we start to see pharmacologic, uh, uh, we start to see uh, pharmacogenomics as an important part when there's a pharmacological treatment that's been re re uh, recommended. And we'll get to that, I hope, later on as to the importance of that. But those are the three buckets. Prevention, support, return to work initiatives, in which pharmacogenomics plays an important role in each. Interesting. Um, I, I, I'm just, I mean, uh, as you mentioned uh, about pharmacogenomics, I'm just wondering how the employers are thinking about pharmacogenomics. Are they thinking of impl implementing pharmacogenomics plan uh, as part of their benefit plan for the employees? Or, I mean, how they are accepting it? Well, you know, I just told you where I thought certain elements of uh, the tools that are out there that could touch on those three points, prevention, support, return to work. Uh, in the early days, I would say that the topic of pharmacogenomics uh, was um, very low. Uh, in fact, I think it was confusing to a lot. Uh, and um, so where are they now? Let me just talk a little bit about where they once were. Uh, which was surprising. Once they knew and uh, were aware of the importance of pharmacogenetics in improving productivity and returning people back to work, there was a large uptake in saying, you know what, if that works, we're willing to do it. And it, a couple of years ago, 
that was about 32%, which I thought was pretty high. About 65% or 63% said, um, you know what, need some more information. Like what I'm hearing about it, I don't quite understand the mechanics of it. I got some confusion, like to learn more, but would be interested. And there was only a small amount that said never. So on a positive note, a couple of years ago, there was a, a, a large interest in, a, in something that was perceived to be a complicated subject. Last year, a study was made with the same sort of cohort of respondents where it moved from 30% um, range up to 63% said, we'll implement it if it can make a difference. And of course, there's a bit of a teeter-totter effect. As the interest went up to say, we'll implement it, obviously the awareness went down because something happened that has been pretty promising is the awareness campaign on pharmacogenetics and its importance to uh, uh, impact what employers are doing around mental illness. So mental illness is always, and, and mental challenges of their employees on productivity and absences is first of mind. Find the tools to get at that is the, uh, the antidote. And one of the things they're looking at as an effective tool is pharmacogenomics. So we're starting to see this play into mental illness as a, as a workplace issue and pharmacogenomics as being the solution. So big uptake. Um, I think the awareness campaigns and communication are working, and um, and I'm uh, we're starting to see a lot of uptake on that fr from a consulting side. Okay, so uh, if, if you mentioned that 63% are actually planning to implement pharmacogenomics, sure. so what about <clears throat> the rest of the people? Is there apprehension, genetic apprehension? Uh, that's what holding those people back who are not willing to implement a pharmacogenomic test. Yeah, I think there's there's two there's two apprehensions. The employer having an apprehension about putting something in that may cause some legal uh, risk to them, uh, but also the apprehension about employees, even if you were to put it in. Um, so from, from an employer perspective, um, uh, alleviating their concern is the, is the strong communication around privacy uh, rules of any of the pharmacogenetic companies that are doing the testing, some of the protection that is available um, uh, through the Genetic Non-Discrimination Act, uh, Bill uh, S-201, uh, uh, which it have mitigated that concern and that apprehension from an employer's perspective. The same apprehension applies to employees, uh, except that you know we have the privacy um, uh, issues, but there's also apprehension about theft. I mean, I'm, I'm taking a... Ge but, but generally, there are like, you know, there are consents are being taken from the uh, employees to yep. protect their privacy and confidentiality. And as we know that most of the companies, they actually use a secure server as well as the samples are being barcoded. So right. those apprehensions, actually, I, I believe um, the people need to be... Uh, uh, like you know uh, aware like people need to know that this is how the privacy and the confidentialities are but nothing uh, is like to your point nothing is like safe and secure because Facebook was recently hacked and like you right. know all these like big corporations are being had who literally have billions of dollars so yeah. a small organization maybe like us or like a growing organization who probably don't have that sophisticated level mm -hmm. if they want to like hack a person's individual's profile they can easily do so. I'm not saying easily do so mm -hmm. but it is still doable so mm -hmm. I mean I guess like that 
part so, of a person's yeah. brain would be like that. And I think they're good points. Let, yeah. let me maybe simplify the answer. Yeah. Two apprehensions, whether it's employer or employee at the top, two apprehensions. Number one, uh, I have a concern over privacy and confidentiality. Right? Number two, I have some apprehension over theft, mm -hmm. which leads into that. And, now, now, and, and so they're together, one, in, you know, one A, one B. And then underlying that, I don't want a, a, a genetic test that's going to tell me I'm going to die in five years because I'm going to get cancer. And therein, that the communication that you talk about is very important to alleviate that, um, that apprehension. Yeah, so, because pharmacogenomics is not a predictive analysis. Right. It, is, it is not going to predict <clears throat> that whether you are going to develop cancer, whether you are going to develop, I mean, cardiological right. problems in future. It is just a drug compatibility test that is going to say that, uh, uh, you know, whether the drug that you are prescribed to, whether this is compatible to your genetics or not. And uh, just say that, uh, you know, what is the best medication for you with the least number of side effects. So th that, like, you know, that kind of an apprehension, which is the predictive analysis usually does. Pharmacogenomics doesn't fall into that category. Right. No, and I, I think that's important for folks to understand. And, and unfortunately, the, the term pharmacogenomics has the name genetics in it, uh, and it was captured under a wide net when the um, Genetic Non-Discrimination Act came to be. Uh, but understanding that, um, the test cannot be used to determine whether or not you are eligible for an insurance policy, which was really why the act came in. Can an insurance company take a genetic test to determine if a healthy person today is not going to be healthy in five years from now with a serious um, ailment? So that was the, the background as, uh, and the genesis of the, the bill. But because it had its word genetic into it, unfortunately, um, pharmacogenetics fell under that. The safeguards, is, as Sanjita mentioned, is we need to get consent. There are strong privacy and confidentiality uh, protocols in, in place. And even if the information was stolen, there's no names attached to that genetic test. It's barcoded. So stealing a barcode means nothing. And, so, and, and the DNA test itself is destroyed. So those are some of the safeguards plus the rules and regulations that are governed by the non-discrimination, the Genetic Non-Discrimination Act. And hopefully that, uh, that answers your question. So, um, Joe, final thoughts. Uh, what do you think that PGX should be um, considered as a tool by all the employers uh, to mitigate the risk of mental health uh, illness in, in the workplace or the employees who are suffering from mental health conditions? Well, I, I, look, at, I, I think the business case has been made especially as it relates to mental, mental illness. This is a boardroom issue, mental illness, and an effective tool to mitigate um, um, those uh, issues that employers are struggling with on realm prevention, support, and return to work. Pharmacogenetics is an important piece. So how, do, how can they implement it? Well, there's a couple of ways, and there's a couple of financial models. It doesn't have to be presented as, as an expensive um, cost to an individual. It can be put on as part of a, a pricing model, much like uh, employee assistance program, where it's reduced to a, per, uh, a price per member per month. And speaking of, uh, of employee assistance programs, we also found an uptake in which uh, employers are embedding um, pharmacogenetics 
with an EAP program. So that's one model uh, embedding in it with a, a, a current um, uh, program uh, that's in place now and putting it on a per member per month basis. The other way in which it could be implemented is <clears throat> offering it as a voluntary product um, uh, service to employees that can buy it on a discount basis. And the third option, uh, which um, uh, employers should um, uh, consider uh, when they're looking at their disability management programs to ensure that the disability management um, company that they're using has in place a protocol to suggest that pharmacogenetics is something that could be re recommended on a voluntary basis to employees that are being, con uh, being considered or treated under a, pharmacolo a pharmacological uh, treatment plan to get them back to work. So those three areas of strategies uh, I think could work. Um, what's the benefit and how can it be paid for? Well, if it's on a, a per member per month basis, those premiums are uh, deductible by the employer. Uh, other than in Quebec, uh, those premiums are non-taxable. Uh, those uh, on a voluntary basis, employees, uh, if they were thinking of purchasing it, could use their flex credits to pay for it if there was a flex plan in place, or could take out money out of their healthcare spending account to pay for the service if there is a healthcare spending account. And uh, as it relates to disability management programs, that's an embedded cost that's already embedded in the premium for long-term disability. Or if it's a short-term disability plan and it's uh, administrative services only, uh, that could be embedded as part of the services that are uh, conveyed and passed on to the employer uh, to conduct those uh, return to work initiatives. So then in essence, this is not a hard thing to implement. And it should, and it's cost effective. The results far outweigh uh, the cost of the uh, of uh, implementing the program, and and I trust that that answers your question. Mm -hmm. Well, Joe and Sanjita, thank you so much for taking the time out and uh, recording this podcast today with us. Uh, to all our listeners who are listening right now, if you'd like us to cover any specific topic, please be sure to email us uh, on info at personalizedprescribing.com <coughs> to learn more about case studies, what we do here at Personalized Prescribing. Be sure to check us out on. Our social channels uh, for Twitter, it's P3 Canada. For Facebook, it's Personalized Prescribing. And for Instagram, it's Personalized Prescribing. Uh, be sure to check out our uh, website as well, which is personalizedprescribing.com. This is Safian uh, with the three-way team signing out, and I'll catch you guys on the next podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.